Um, and uh, I just wanted to take a moment before we uh, kind of dive just deep into the scripture this morning um, to just say that I am really thankful for our church and for the opportunity to share God's word with you. Um, it's never lost on me the privilege that it is to step up onto um, this platform and just talk to you about God's word, whether that be here in the adult service or with our kids or with our students, when I just get the opportunity to teach what God's word has to say and how to apply it to our life. Um, it's just something I'm really, really thankful for. And I know that many of you guys feel this way, um, but man, this church, Real Hope Community Church, has really changed my life. Um, The entire time we were in the process of planting and uh, planting, planning, uh, and launching Real Hope Community Church, um, the entire time we were walking through that, I really thought that Real Hope Community Church was going to be for Fort Bend County, meaning that God was having us um, create this church for Fort Bend County and the people of Fort Bend County. I still wholeheartedly believe that. It's not like I've abandoned that. I completely 100% believe that. But I also know and have since learned that God was using Real Hope Community Church in my life personally as much as he was anybody else in Fort Bend County. Um, Because of so many of you guys, God has used you to create a space here at Real Hope where people can come in and they can experience the grace of God and the love of his people. And watching that happen and being able to experience that firsthand, it has had a profound impact on me um, personally. And here's why I want to tell you all of that. It's not just so, you know, we can have like a brag sesh about our church. It's nothing, it's not like that. I tell you that because right before we started Real Hope, um, I say right before, but, but really if I'm being honest, probably about two years leading up to starting Real Hope, um, I was going through a season of feeling very, very isolated. Um, and I'm sure you've probably experienced times like this in your life as well, um, but just those times where you feel like maybe there's nobody that can relate to you or you can't relate to anybody. And maybe even seasons where you've desperately tried to relate to people um, and it still just isn't there. And maybe you've walked through a season of something really tough and you've wished you've had somebody to walk through that with, or you've walked through a season of celebration, and you look around and you wish you had somebody to celebrate with, someone that was celebrating alongside of you. And if we're honest, I think we would say some of the hardest times in our lives are times when we feel completely isolated. Um, You know, maybe you're going through just a really, really tough situation, And you might be one of those examples of that saying that you've probably heard of even being in a room full of people but feeling all alone. I mean, perhaps that's even you today, right? Perhaps you would say, if I'm being totally transparent and I'm being honest with you today, I walked in here and walked through the doors of this church feeling very isolated. And that's where I was in that two years kind of leading up to Real Hope Community Church and there's none of my, there's no one's fault. Um, I had amazing marriage, amazing family, amazing friendships. That's just the particular season that I was in. And I had to recognize that in that season, and this is what we have to recognize as well, is that isolation is not God's plan for us. In fact, God's plan for us, God's desire for you, is that you would never stand alone. 
I mean, that, that really is the gospel, kind of in a nutshell, right? I mean, that is why God sends his son to die on a cross for me and for you. It's so that we're not experiencing isolation, isolation from God or isolation from one another, because that is not God's desire for us. He created us with the desire for connection. And in fact, that's actually what our main point for today is going to be. So if you are taking notes, um, or if you're not, I would encourage you to. Uh, We have message notes in the basket. There's pens and all that kind of stuff. Um, And so this is something you might want to write down. But here's the main point for our message this morning. It's this, is that we, we're created for connection, but we drift toward isolation. Let that sink in for a minute. We are created for connection, but we drift toward isolation. And it's so common, honestly, to see this in our lives, that God created us to have a connection with him. He created us to have a connection with each other. And yet it's so natural for us to drift toward isolation. But here's the thing. A life that's truly life is a life that is lived in community. A life that's truly life is a life that's lived in community with God and in community with one another. That's a life that's truly life, not a life that's drifting toward isolation. But now here's something that I want to say to really encourage you um, this morning. It's this, it's that by walking through the doors of Real Hope Community Church, by waking up this morning, despite maybe staying up late last night to watch an epic baseball game, But by walking, waking up early this morning, walking in the doors of this church, you are already fighting the drift of isolation. So way to go. Great job. Because here's the thing. At Real Hope Community Church, the second that you are here, the second that you walk through the doors of this church, guess what? You are a part of our church. You belong here. You are loved And here's why. We know that God is building his church, but here's what we also know is that a church is not actually a building. A church is the people. And so God is building his church brick by brick. He's building it stone by stone. But guess what? You and I, we are those bricks. We are those stones. And so by you being here this morning, you are already fighting the drift of isolation. And so let that encourage you. What we're going to do is we're going to actually just go ahead and dive into the scripture that we're going to be in um, this morning. And so we are going to be in actually Hebrews chapter 12. Um, If you brought your Bible with you this morning, that's great. Um, If you did not, that's why we have Bibles on the table. Um, We would love for you to grab one of those and begin to make your way to the book of Hebrews. Um, If you're not totally familiar with the layout of the Bible, um, that's totally okay. Hebrews is in the New Testament. It's sort of toward the end of the New Testament there. Um, right after Philemon, which you'll find Hebrews before you'll find Philemon, probably. But um, right after Philemon is Hebrews, but right before the book of James, um, sort of toward the end there. If you don't own a Bible um, or one that you feel like you can really understand and relate to, um, we would love for you to take one of those Bibles home with you that's on the table. That's why they're there. And so use that today. Take it home with you. Mark in it. Um, we're, we're totally fine with that. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. And so once you get to chapter 12, just stop right there at uh, verse (coughs) 1. 
one of the things that we like to do, excuse me, one of the things we like to do at Real Hope, and when we're reading and going through scriptures, is, is we like to just mark it up. So we like to circle words, we like to highlight, we like to underline, um, so that you can go back and look at that um, and, and remember uh, what God was teaching you in this moment. And so if you have a, a pen or highlighter from the basket of your table, get it ready because we're going to be circling and, and highlighting some stuff as we go through the scripture. So let's read this together. We're going to start in verse 1. And it says there, therefore, since we, and I want you to circle the word we, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, underline that phrase, a great cloud of witnesses, let us, circle the word us, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us, circle that second us, Run with perseverance, the race marked out for, there it is again, us. You probably already picked up on it. Circle that. Fixing our, circle the word our, eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sins, so that you, and I want you to circle that word you, will not grow weary and lose heart. Now, you probably already picked up on it, but I obviously am having you circle words that represent what? More than one, okay? We, us, are. And you're like, well, but then why did we circle the word you? I'm so glad that you asked that question and picked up on that little bit of information. When you actually translate that word you, when you go back and look at it in the original Greek, it's not to be an individual you. It's meant to be read and translated as you all, or if you're from the great state of Texas, very good. That is why y'all is a holy word. It's in the Bible, okay? So say it with pride. Y'all. So that is actually meant to be read so that y'all will not grow weary and lose heart, okay? Verse 1, though, let's look at this, especially that uh, phrase that I had you guys underline. Right there, it says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. So who is this cloud of witnesses, right? And what does their witness mean? Okay, what does that phrase mean? Well, in order to know that, you have to actually go back to Hebrews chapter 11, which is oftentimes, that chapter is called the Hall of Fame of, of Faith, okay? We don't have time to read the whole chapter together this morning, but essentially the entire chapter is the author of Hebrews basically listing and telling the names and the stories of these incredible men and women of faith who lived and died really so valiantly by their faith, okay? People like Abel and Enoch and Noah and Sarah and Moses and Abraham. Um, the author of Hebrews actually describes this group as of whom the world was not worthy. I mean, think about that for a minute. Like, living your life in such an incredible display of faithfulness to God, they're actually described as, like, not worthy of this world. That's the kind of people that we are talking about. So then, okay, that's a cloud of witnesses, but what does their witness mean? What does that refer to? Does it refer to, like, them watching us from heaven? Or does it refer to them setting an example for us by the way that they lived their lives? Well, I think it's the latter, and here's why. The word witness can actually mean one of two different things, okay? 
One, it can mean the act of seeing something. That's why you have like witnesses to a crime, right? Or like a witness that takes a stand in a case or a court case or something like that, right? But it can also mean the act of telling something, which we also see that as well. But the act of telling something. So which is it here? Well, in this particular sense, or this particular instance, I'm sorry, I think that it is the act of telling something. And that's not just my opinion. Um, We know that to be true because this form of the word witness is actually used five times in Hebrews chapter 11. And every single time that it is used, it is always referring to giving of a testimony, telling of a story, rather than merely watching an event. Okay, so then these witnesses in Hebrews 12, 1, these are the faithful that have run the race before us. Okay, and by how they lived their life, they have become kind of cheerleaders for us all. I'm in the process right now of training for the Houston Marathon with our Real Hope Community Church, like Team World Vision team. And if you've ever been to the Houston half or, or uh, full marathon before, you know, like, literally the entire race, there's just people lining the streets, cheering the runners on. It's like one of the most inspiring things that you can, you know, be a part of. That's what this is saying. It's saying, hey, this great cloud of witnesses, those that have gone before us, this group in Hebrews chapter 11, it's like they're standing on the route or the path to a marathon and they're cheering you on and they're cheering me on and they're saying, hey, listen, you can do this. I finished this race faithfully following God, so can you. So that's what we're talking about right here. It's that God's using the apostles and the prophets for the foundation of his church But guess what? Now, he's using you and he's using me to build his church. He's fitting us in brick by brick, stone by stone, with with Jesus Christ being the cornerstone of his church. It's not just a building, it's the people. You're a stone, I'm a stone, and he's putting us together to build his church. We were created for connection but what happens is we drift toward isolation. And a great example of this is social media. We see this in social media. Social media is a great tool. I'm actually a big fan of social media. Um, I really like it. I like being able to stay connected to people in that way, especially people from different seasons and phases of my life. And so it can be a great tool, but what do we do with social media? Right, we'll take like a picture of a sunset and we'll hashtag it like God's handiwork or like my artist is better than yours or something like that. And we'll put it on there and then what do we do? Like two minutes later, we're like pulling our phone down, like refresh, refresh. Like who liked it? Who hit a heart? Who gave me like a wow face, right? Who hit a heart but didn't make a comment? And then like, why did they not make a comment? Was my post not comment worthy? It was just heart worthy, And we're constantly evaluating it over and over and over again. And do you want to know why? It's because you and I were created for connection. And we're trying to find that connection. And we're trying to find that affirmation. But we use a tool that was also created for connection. And and we use it in such a crazy way that it actually pushes us toward drifting toward isolation. Because what happens, we start developing feelings of like envy and jealousy and bitterness, forgetting that that other person's posts and stuff is really just the highlight reel of their life. It's the best things that happened to them that day. 
where sometimes we just get like straight up FOMO, right? Like we're like, why are they living this amazing life that they're not inviting me to be a part of? And these feelings start to stir up inside of us and they start to push us toward isolation. But here's the thing, as Christ followers, if you would say, yes, I am, I, I'm a Christian. I've placed my trust in Christ. As Christ followers, we are called to fight the drift of isolation. But we're not called to fight it alone. We're called to fight it in community. That's why in this Hebrews passage, I had you guys circle and we see words like we, are, us, y'all. The author of Hebrews did not use me, myself, and I. He used we, us, are, because we're not meant to fight the drift alone. But here's the thing, that's exactly what Satan wants. Because he knows that if he can get you by yourself, you are a lot less threatening than if you're living in community with other believers. He knows that when you begin the fight toward the drift of isolation, when you begin to live a life that's truly life, when you're living the life that God called you out to live, that you were created to live, then we, as the church, we, as God's people, we truly are unstoppable. And the enemy knows that. And so while God created us for community, guess what the enemy wants? He wants to push us to drift toward isolation because you're a lot less threatening alone than when you link arms with other believers. And so here's three ways from this Hebrews chapter 12 passage that I think we can fight the drift toward isolation and we can help other people around us fight the drift toward isolation as well. And so here's the very first one. The first way to fight the isolation drift is this. It's to remember the faithfulness of God. Remember the faithfulness of God. I'm going to read Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 again. Um, and if you'd like to follow along, read it with me. Um, that would be great. But it says this. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. Listen, this is why the author of Hebrews reminds us of this great cloud of witnesses, these faithful believers that came before us, and then encourages us to band together to throw off the sin that entangles us so we can run the race marked out for us with per perseverance, but the only way we can do it is by fixing our eyes on Jesus. Here's the thing. The most important connection that you were created to have is your relationship with God. That is the most important connection you were created to have. When you surrender your life to Jesus, and I mean, I mean surrender your life to Jesus, not just depend on him for salvation, but really surrender your life to Jesus and enter into an active, daily, growing relationship with your heavenly father. That right there is the most important connection you will have in your life. That is where all other connections start. Because when we fix our eyes on Jesus, guess what? The scripture right here, it says that he perfects our faith. We don't do it. We can't do it in our own. Nor can anybody else in our life do it. 
they can help us and they can support us, which we're going to talk about even more here. But Jesus is the only one that can actually perfect our faith. And so we can remember the faithfulness of God by, yes, remembering those who have faithfully followed God before us and leaning into that truth and that fact that if he was faithful in their life, then he can be faithful in my life too. But we also remember God's faithfulness by surrounding ourselves with a great cloud of witness right here and right now. Surrounding ourselves with a great cloud of witnesses right here and right now. And and to do that, you have to be willing to put yourself in positions where you hear the stories of God's faithfulness in other people's lives. And then you have to be willing to put yourself in a position of vulnerability so that you can tell the stories of God's faithfulness in your life to other people. But again, here's the thing. The enemy's going to do whatever he can to keep you isolated to keep you from being around others that will help you remember God's faithfulness. Here's how it looks. For some of you, it looks like guilt and shame. So your past, it keeps creeping up on you. And instead of remembering God's faithfulness in your story, all you keep going back to is the guilt and the shame, and it keeps holding you back from what God has from you. Because you hear things in your mind which is the enemy talking to you, saying things like, hey, 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 listen, you can't join that small group. If they knew your past, they would never want you to be there. You can't do that. Or you hear the enemy saying things to you like, hey, hey, you can't share and ask for help over that sin. Not that one. It's too big. You got to keep that in you got to keep that to yourself. If people knew about that, if they knew that that was the one that you struggle with, nobody would want to be friends with you. But here's the thing. Those are lies. Those are not true. And those are the exact reasons why we need community in our life. Because when the enemy tries to remind you of your past, you need to be surrounded by those that will remind you of God's faithfulness in your past and in your story that's being right, written right now and God's faithfulness in your story that's yet to come. God's building his church, remember, stone by stone, brick by brick. And we are those bricks. We are those stones. We are a part of God building his church. So maybe you struggle with remembering God's faithfulness because of shame or guilt, or maybe you struggle with remembering God's faithfulness because if you're being honest, you can't point out God's faithfulness in your story. In fact, You walk around carrying so much pain, such a heavy load of painful moments and situations that have happened in your life. You really wonder when you look back on where was God? And you carry this heavy load and this pain on a daily basis. You know, maybe it was that guy or that girl that was supposed to be your person, They were supposed to be the person that you married or you were to spend the rest of your life with, and they left. And you're like, God, where were you in that? Why didn't you intervene in that situation? That was supposed to be my person. Now, what is the rest of my life going to look like? You know, maybe it's that job that you were like, you know what, this job, this is going to change the makeup of my family. I mean, this is going to be a game changer for us. 
and you interview for the job and then you don't get it. And you wonder, God, you knew how big of a deal this was going to be to my family. Where were you in that situation? You know, maybe it was somebody that you trusted that abused you in some way. And it's hard for you to imagine God's any sort of faithfulness in that moment. And you find yourself asking God, where was your faithfulness in there? But here's the thing. While step one, yes, like we're first, the first way, I'm sorry, for us to fight the drift of isolation is to remember the faithfulness of God. When we're struggling in those moments to remember the faithfulness of God, this is the second way that we fight the isolation drift. And it's this, is that we rely on God's people. We rely on God's people. Here's the thing. Everybody needs somebody. And you need somebody that won't judge you, but will have good judgment. Did you hear what I said? Do you understand what I'm saying? You need somebody that won't judge you, but will have good judgment. We tend to, like, have people that are kind of one or the other of that, right? Like, they won't judge me, but then they also won't give me good advice, right, on how to proceed forward in this situation, right? Or if they have good judgment, they're also kind of judgy about the situation, right? We need people that are not going to judge us, but are going to have good judgment. We need to rely on God's people. And see, here's the thing. It's not just about having people in your life, because I know there's those of you that are sitting in the room uh, this morning, and you're like, oh, man, I have a ton of friends. I have a ton of people in my life. That's great, but do you have the right people in your life? It's not just about having people in your life. It's about having the right people in your life who you can rely on to show you God's faithfulness when you cannot see it yourself. Here's what I honestly believe. I really do. I believe this. I believe that the difference from where you are today and where God wants you to be depends on having the right people in your life, who you surround yourself with. I recently um, had a conversation with a student um, not a real hope student because they're perfect and this conversation would never happen with one of them. Um, But I had a conversation with a student and if you have a student in our student ministry and you ask me after if this was your kid, I'm going to tell you no regardless of what this is. So just don't bother asking. But I recently had a conversation with a student in our student ministry and uh, they were just sharing with me. um, They were saying, hey, you know what, Pastor Jenny, listen, um, I really am starting to feel bad about the fact that I cheat on my schoolwork. I know it's not right, but everybody at my school does it. But I know it's not right, and I want to stop. Great. Of course, my response was, that's awesome. I'm really excited about that. I definitely think you can do it. But let me ask you this question real fast. Um, tell me a little bit about your friends, which obviously they didn't really understand the connection. They're like, uh, okay, uh, yeah, I have great friends. My friends are super loyal. They're super faithful. In fact, every single morning before school starts, we meet up in the library to share our homework with each other. I mean, you guys are laughing because you already see like the disconnect, right, in this. And they're like, and literally, I mean, they're like, and get, they are there every, I'm like, I bet they are. They are there every single morning. And I'm like, 
Okay, here's the thing. Whoa, 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 real fast. I, I, I believe you that your friends are probably great people. Here's the thing, though. They're not the ones for this job. You need to be surrounding yourself with people that aren't going to show up faithfully every single morning to cheat off of you or to let you cheat off of them. You need friends that are going to be showing up faithfully every single morning to make sure you don't do that. You and I, we all have our own like cheating situations, right? Our own cheating stories. We laugh about that because, you know, it's like, oh, it's a student in school and all of that. But we have that too. It's not about just having people. It's about having the right people. And some of you are here today, and honestly, this is, this is all you need to hear from this message right now. It's that there's a relationship you need to let go of. It's not healthy, and it's not pointing you toward Jesus, and you need the right people in your life. You need the people in your life that are in this Hebrews passage, the we, the us, the ours, the y'alls. That's who you need in your life. That's who I need in my life people that are working to throw off the sin that entangles them and they're encouraging you to do the same thing. People that are running their race with perseverance and are challenging you to do the same thing. People that are allowing Jesus to be the perfecter of their faith and they're asking you on a regular basis if you're doing the same thing. You need the right people in your life and especially when you're struggling with remembering God's faithfulness in certain times and situations and aspects of your story. And you might say like, okay, Jenny, we get it. Like, I hear you. We need the right people. I'm on board. Cool, cool. How do I find these people? How do I find the right people in my life? Well, here's the thing. At, here at Real Hope, there's two very simple ways for you to do it. Literally, two very simple ways. ways. The first one is this. Serve on a team. Serve on a team right? Start serving, okay? If you want to get around people that are walking in the same direction to you, join a serving team at Real Hope. And this is not a commercial for serving on a team like, oh, we need more people, so I'm going to tie it into the message. It's not that. It really is being able to find a group of people that are walking in the same direction as you and are going to encourage you to do the same thing, and here's the deal. Not only will you make some incredible friends while you do that, you'll also be doing something good for the church and something good for our community. It's a win-win. I mean, that, it's as simple as that. Here's the second one. Get in a small group. Get in a small group. You need to meet consistently with people that are going to encourage you and that are going to hold you accountable. And I'm not actually going to talk about the logistics too much of how this works because in just a little bit, um, one of our elders and the leader of our small group ministry, um, Jeff Justice, is going to come up and he's going to actually tell you some logistics of how you can get involved in um, a small group. But I will say this. There is something that happens in a small group, sitting down with a group of people in somebody's living room, diving into a scripture, asking each other questions about it, praying together, sharing life together, sharing a meal together that simply cannot be 100% accomplished just by coming to a corporate worship setting. We dive into God's word here on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings, and we take that very seriously, but there are things that happen in small group that just cannot happen in this setting. And that's how you're going to find the right people in your life. 
All right, here's the third and final uh, way to fight the isolation drift that we can pull from this Hebrews passage. It's this. It's release the power of your story. Release the power of your story. Sorry, I'm standing in front of your... Release the power of your story. And this is specifically for those of you that so far in this message, you're like, man, I am killing it today. Because you know what? I serve on a team. I'm in a small group. Like, I'm making it happen. So check for me. Way to go. Well, I would say this to you. First of all, that's great. Great job. But let me ask you this. Are you honest about your troubles and your struggles with your serving team or the small group you're in? Or do you show up every single week and act like it's, you've got everything all together? That you've got everything figured out? And you're just doing really good on your own? And maybe your struggle is not necessarily um, serving or being in a small group. Maybe your struggle is just getting real with people, letting people in. Listen, this is one that I struggled with for years, for years, because I'm definitely one of those people, I'm like, oh, you need somebody to serve? Awesome. I'm there. I'll give you as much of my time as you need. I'll throw as much of my passion and my energy into it. Like, I am there. You need me to show up and hang out with you at a small group? Have you met me? I'm like an extrovert of extroverts. Yes, I would love to show up and hang out with you. You want me to share about the details of my life and what's going on inside of me? That's a hard pass. No. But here's what I realized is that When we are real with the right people, we release the power of our story. And listen, your story, it does have power. Whether you think it does or not, it does. Remember those moments we were talking about earlier, those moments that are painful, those moments in your life that hurt you so much, those moments that caused you to struggle to remember God's faithfulness. Well, here's what I want to paint. Here's kind of the picture, the visual I want to paint for you is that those moments are kind of like a rock that falls off of the side of a cliff into a river below, okay? When a rock falls off the side of a cliff, right, it's, it's jagged, right? It has sharp edges to it. And as it falls down and bangs against the mountain or bangs against the side of the cliff and gets in, into the water, some of those jagged edges start to kind of fall off, right? And there, that rock might even go down, the river a little bit, fall over a waterfall, and end up at the bottom of a riverbed. And so after a while, this jagged rock at the bottom of a riverbed has water that's just constantly going over top of it. And so what do you think happens to the rock? It's erosion. It becomes smooth. This rock that started out so jagged from the side of this cliff now has, now is a smooth rock. That is what God does to our stories. He takes these moments that are jagged and are painful, and his grace begins to fly over them like the water in that riverbed. And our stories become smooth stones that are now tools we can put in our tool belt and God can use. 
Some of you might be familiar with this story, but there's a, you know, pretty well-known Bible story of David and Goliath. Do you know what David used to kill Goliath? A smooth stone. Nobody believed that he could do it. Nobody saw that that's too big. That guy, no, nobody else wanted to do it. The shepherd boy is stepping up to do it. And God uses a smooth stone to take down that giant. And he will use your jagged edges that he's covered with grace and is made smooth to take down the giants in your life. But guess what? He will use them to help take down the giants in other people's lives too. Release the power of your story. And I know some of you are thinking, you're like, oh, you, don't, you, you don't know my story. It's pretty jagged. I know my God, though. And I can guarantee you they're not, it's not too jagged for him to smooth out. You know, that divorce that almost broke you, it becomes a tool in your tool belt. That addiction that almost took you out, it becomes a tool in your tool belt that God now uses in the life of somebody else that's struggling with addiction. Maybe even a parent that abandoned you and you wondered, even as an adult, why didn't they want me? Why didn't they want to be a part of my life? That becomes part of your story, and it becomes a tool in your tool bag. The death of a child, a pain that no parent should ever feel, it becomes a tool for you. You see your story, it has power. But you have to release the power of your story. And maybe, just maybe, the pain that you've gone through is not in vain. God begins to use it. And you see that when you walk with God and you walk with people, what he does is he brings you opportunities to use your story. You don't have to seek these opportunities out. When you are willing, when you submit your story, you're willing to allow the Holy Spirit to use it, guess what? He'll open up opportunities and doors for you to use it. You don't have to seek them out. You just have to be willing to share it when the opportunity comes. And God begins to use your story to take down the giants in other people's lives. But here's the thing. The reason that your story has so much power to be released, it isn't because of anything that you did. It's because of the most powerful story in all of history. The story of Jesus Christ and what he did. I'm just going to read. You don't need to turn, flip there if you don't have your Bible open anymore or anything. But let's just look at the second half of verse 2 and then verse 3 in this Hebrews chapter 12. Listen to what it says. It says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, he being Jesus, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you, but we already know that that's really what, y'all, will not grow weary and lose heart. I promise you this, that if you take even just one of these steps that we've talked about this morning, you're going to look back and you're going to see that you, yes, were created for connection, that you, yes, are being used by God to build his church, that you are one of the stones, you are one of the bricks that God is using to bring his people together. And perhaps today you'll begin to remember the faithfulness of God. You'll begin to rely on God's people. You'll begin to release the power of your story. And when you do that, you will realize that you never walk alone. That you'll always have God walking with you. And you'll always have other people walking with you. 
And here's the deal. Perhaps that's the very reason that God had you here this morning. Out of all of the other places that you could have been, out of all the other things that you could have been doing, he had you here so that you could hear that you belong, that you are loved, that you were created for community, and he no longer wants you living in isolation, that it's time to come out of that place. It's time to be surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses and to be part of the great cloud of witnesses.